Good morning. I bring you greetings from Grace Bible Church in Adele, your daughter church of 32 years now. I was planted back in 1987 as a result of uh, your ministry here at Open Door. I've been there for 17 years, and uh, the Lord has blessed the ministry over those years. In case you're wondering, I'm related to the Blayhawch family. Uh, Bethany is my daughter, and uh, glad to see the family together today. We had a delightful time on Thursday. Everybody was up to my house in Hingham. Had a delightful drive from up north today, as far as Hingham at least. Um, Every branch, every twig, every stalk was uh, coated with ice and snow. Uh, You didn't look like you'd get all of that down here, but um, it was was good to just drive and see God's beauty. I, I was grateful for all of that. I can do without the snow most of the time, but occasionally it's really beautiful, isn't it? Let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that we would be doers of it and not just hearers, that we would make suitable applications to our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in seminary, I had a professor that often spoke to students, obviously, and was very personable, and one day he asked a student how he was doing. The student replied in a rather Eeyore type of voice, Oh, under the circumstances, I'm okay. The prof said, Well, what are you doing under the circumstances? You know, circumstances are those things in our life that uh, sometimes we get under, don't we? And uh, we need to take a look at something that the Scripture tells us today. We're going to be uh, looking at... uh, Philippians chapter 1, but the story, the backstory to Philippians is in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. You know, responding to unkindness or a turbulent time in life in a Christ-like way often brings people to you to hear the gospel. When you stop and think of what Paul went through in Acts 16 of uh, getting beat up in the city of Philippi, uh, tossed in jail, fastened into stocks with his friend Silas, um, they didn't... They weren't swearing and causing all sorts of commotion at the jailer and everybody else as they were being dragged out of the city. No, uh, by midnight, what were they doing? They were singing songs of praise to the Lord. And then God sent that earthquake and opened the jail and opened the jailer's heart, Uh, not only his heart, but his family's heart, to trust the Lord. Paul's circumstances that time uh, brought him into contact with uh, a group of people that maybe he would not have ordinarily had contact with. The backstory to that is uh, further back in, well, Acts 28, that's not further back than Philippians, uh, the Philippi, but uh, just to give you a little bit of the situation of Paul's life as he's writing the, the letter to the Philippian church, what was going on. Well, in Acts 28, he's under house arrest. Um, it's probably the first year gone In that time, we think that he's uh, closer to being released from prison at that point. Uh, But by the way, he writes to uh, the Philippian church and also to Philemon, uh, another letter right after that. But before this time in Rome, 
uh, he is on a ship going there as a prisoner. He's shipwrecked and three months on the Isle of island of Malta. And before that, he spends two years in a prison in, in Caesarea. Now, that's a, a lot of time that Paul is confined, and yet God uh, used him in those circumstances. And again, the key word is circumstances. I believe that God wants us to make creative use of our circumstances to grow in Christ as well as to further the gospel. Now, Paul desired to see Rome. We know that from what he writes to the Roman people, um, the church at Rome in chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. He says, after I'm finished here, I'd really like to come to see you guys and impart some spiritual gift to you of ministry. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, if we kind of crawl into Paul's mind a minute, uh, wouldn't you think he'd like to put a P.S. on the end of that desire and say, Lord, I'd really like to go as a free man, you know, rather than a prisoner. But, you know, God had a purpose for what he was doing, and he wound up getting there, but as a prisoner instead of a free man. We also have an interesting statement back further in the book of Acts in chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, as God is telling Ananias um, something about Paul. Ananias was God's instrument to help Paul get his sight back, to baptize him, to encourage him in the faith initially. And God tells Ananias, and Ananias was very reluctant to go visit Paul because Paul was a persecutor of the church. I'm sure Ananias was probably afraid of, of Paul and he had every reason to be that way. But God told Ananias that Paul was a chosen instrument of his. Isn't that not true of all of us? Are we not chosen instruments of God? I believe we are, and God has a special purpose for each of us. And those circumstances that we are in all of our lives, all the way along, God's got a purpose for that as well. Part of God's purpose for Paul, as it says in the second statement, was to bear my name among uh, before kings and Gentiles. That was God's purpose. And eventually God uh, led Paul to be able to speak while he was imprisoned or jailed in, in Caesarea to King Herod, Herod Agrippa. Or, yeah, Herod Agrippa. And uh, his family and and uh, Festus and Felix, the governors of those times. So important people, and then eventually uh, into Rome. But the other thing that God told Ananias to tell Paul is that he was going to teach Paul or show Paul how much he must suffer for Christ's name's sake. Now, this was not general life trials. This was not financial reversals or getting sick or those types of things. He, he was going to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Not many of us face those things. Maybe some of you do in your workplace or school. Uh, that's certainly coming to our country faster than we believe, or, or faster than we think. But God was going to use Paul and show him how much he would suffer. And I believe, honestly, that God uh, said, I need to make him usable first. You know, God takes us as raw material, so to speak, and he makes us usable. Uh, sometimes we resist that, though, don't we? We don't like the the pain of being made usable. Um, <clears throat> that, I think that was the first time I sung, or actually the second time because I was in the first service, and last night that uh, sweetly broken song. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you honestly, uh, when you get broken, you it's painful. I don't know about the sweetly. That might be somebody's experience, but it hasn't been mine. And maybe it hasn't been yours either. When you've been broken by the Lord for one reason or another, 
it's a painful process. Wholly committed, wholly surrendered, yes, absolutely. But the process of being broken, I don't think, is a very fun process. Do you? Uh, probably not if we talked about that. I wonder what the Philippian people were thinking, and maybe not out loud, but maybe maybe somebody said something about it. Why should somebody who lives for the Lord and serves Him have to suffer? Why is that true? Why is Paul confined in prison? Why should the gospel be hindered because Paul's out of circulation? Now, Paul had a reasonable amount of freedom. The people came to him and, and he taught them and, and those types of things. <clears throat> but uh, basically, he was out of circulation. And during that time, though, he wrote what we call the prison letters. Uh, Philippians was one of them. Uh, in our Bibles, we have uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. It's likely that Colossians came first. There is no mention about Paul's release or his hope for release. But when we get to uh, Philippians and Philemon, as I mentioned before, he talks about that, that uh, hope of being released. And in fact, he tells Philemon, get the guest room ready. I'm hoping to come shortly. So we, we know that that's pending. Paul's circumstances turned out for the gospel. That's what he's writing in this letter. Amongst other things, he thanks them for the gift that they sent for Epaphroditus coming, but he also maybe was answering some unspoken questions about that why answer. Because he says, I want you to know, dear brothers, this is in verse 12 of Philippians 1, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel or the advance of the gospel. It has served to move things forward as far as spiritualities go and the gospel. Paul was very familiar with military things. Uh, he was obviously with the Roman soldiers. and um, But he picks a, a military word to talk about the advancing of the gospel. That word that he uses was used of a, a group of Roman soldiers who went before the general army to clear the road or to make the way through the forest and level the ground so the army would not be impeded in the way. Uh, that was like the Navy Seabees or the Army Corps of Engineers, and these guys did it with no heavy equipment. <laughs> that would have been funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't think I would have wanted to have been part of that group if they were clearing forests and not have any heavy equipment. Uh, boy, but that's the word Paul uses. The, the progress of the gospel is going to move forward, and then he talks about how, how it was happening in his life. He says, as a result, it's become clear uh, throughout the entire palace guard, that was the Praetorian guard, that word came from a word that means the general's tent. It was a group of soldiers that guarded the general. They were the bodyguards. And, and um, what's his name? Uh, Julius Caesar was the first to use this group of guards to be his personal bodyguards. And ever since then, the, the uh, Roman emperors did that. But it was called the Praetorian Guard, and they were very influential uh, guards, not only uh, as far as soldiers go, they were the crack team, but they were also very influential politically. That's another story. But he says, this group of people have come to know Christ as Savior. The gospel is known through them now. Stop and think. Paul was under house arrest, but he was also chained to a Roman soldier. Every six hours, a new guy. And what do you think Paul did with that new guy? Yep. 
probably shared the gospel. And when they circled around again, it was time for discipleship if they trusted Christ. And, and Paul was doing that, and this is how the gospel advanced into the palace of the Roman emperor. He also says, I'm in chains, and everybody else knows that as well. And because of my chains, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So others were coming to know Christ. Believers were gaining courage to speak the word of God. And that was encouraging to Paul. It would be encouraging to us as well, would it not? So his... his. Uh, thought here, and and one of the key elements that we want to understand is that God gives us access to people and places to which we might not otherwise have, but getting there may involve suffering or a cost to us. Stop and think of some of the circumstances in your life and how God has brought people into your life that would not necessarily be on your radar screen. How you got there may have cost you something. A lot of times these circumstances are beyond our control physically and every other way, but God wants us to use them uh, creatively. They are not necessarily misfortunes or accidents. I was thinking of Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, Many of you probably have, I hope you've read her book or seen the movie. Um, She was uh, crippled in a diving accident in 1967. So 52 years uh, quadriplegic. Uh, Amazing story, though. Over the last 40 years, her organization called Johnny and Friends has uh, gotten into a number of different avenues of ministry. One of the main, or I shouldn't say main, one of the ministries that I looked up a little bit more about is Wheels for the World. They've uh, donated many Uh, thousands of wheelchairs to disabled people around the world. What I didn't realize at the time is that uh, she's also contracted with 15 prisons so that the prisoners are actually refurbishing the wheelchairs to like new conditions. I I can't help but think that some of those prisoners have come to know Christ as their Savior, wouldn't you think? I mean, if they're working for an organization that's distributing these and they know the gospel and the story behind what they're doing, I imagine the motivation is pretty good to do the best job they can on those wheelchairs and for the sake of uh, those children and adults that were going to get them. By 2014, and this is five years ago, over 100,000 wheelchairs had been given out. That's amazing. And she's got a number of other ministries that have gone on as well. Now my question in my mind, would all these things have happened had she not been a quadriplegic? Mm, maybe not. And God can do all sorts of things with many people, but you know, it was that motivation of her injury and being quadriplegic that led her and a number of other people to do what she did. But if you read the story or saw the movie, you know at the beginning of that journey, when she had that accident, She wanted to commit suicide. She was so depressed and so hurt and so despondent about what was going on and and basically the end of her life as she knew it, she wanted to die. Boy, what a change. 180 degrees the other direction. Great cost. She's gone through breast cancer and all sorts of stuff along the 52 years. 
God's not done. Oh, what did I hit? Oh. Sorry. There. John Bunyan. I hope you've read the story, seen the movie. The Act of Uniformity in 1662 required all churchmen in the Church of England to use the rites and ceremonies as com- prescribed by the Book of Common Prayer in England. That also required the Episcopal ordination of ministers in the Church of England. There was a group called the Nonconformists, and they numbered about 2,000 men who were pastors at that time, who said, wait a minute, we're going to preach the gospel. We don't believe in what you're talking about. We're out of here. Well, actually, they got thrown out. John Bunyan was certainly a target. He was 21 years old. He had already served with the uh, English Army during the war back then, and but he was a target because he was one of the nonconformists. His preaching was so popular and powerful and so unacceptable to the leaders in the 1600s that they threw him in jail. There was a big courtyard in the jail, so he started preaching in the courtyard. The prisoners came to hear him, and the people outside the prison came to hear him because he was such a good preacher. Well, that didn't go over real big, <laughs> as you could imagine. In order to silence him, they put him further into the prison where nobody could hear him. And that was that. Or was it? Now, we normally think of him writing Pilgrim's Progress, but actually he was imprisoned twice. And it was the second imprisonment during the time that he wrote the Pilgrim's Progress. During the first imprisonment, for 12 years, he wrote books and tracts. And basically, he shepherded a church and hundreds of people, thousands of people, because a publisher published all those things. And that's partly how he supported his family, uh, besides making shoelaces for people, or bootlaces. But these tracts, these books got all over, and people were reading them, so it was very popular to have Bunyan's books. It was really amazing. But that uh, the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, was certainly the key uh, thing for many people. In fact, in 1692, 100,000 copies were in print in English alone. Local magistrates uh, who sentenced Bunyan to imprisonment unless he promised that he would not preach anymore, and he refused, and he said, listen, I'll let the moss grow on my eyelids before I disobey God. Well, he was right in their face, wasn't he? (laughs) China's communist government printed Pilgrim's Progress as an example of Western cultural heritage. How nice of them to do that. 200,000 copies sold out in three days. It was amazing. And that's a book that's still um, okay in China. And I'm grateful for that because of the gospel that would be going in as a result of people reading that book. Uh, You might pray for that. The movie is also going in uh, because it's translated into Mandarin now. But look at the cost. I mean, this guy's out of circulation, so to speak, but yet he wasn't hindered to do the ministry. He was pretty creative in those circumstances. Christo Kulichev is not exactly a household name, but back in 1985 he was arrested. He was a congregational pastor in Bulgaria. His crime was that he preached in his church, even though the state had appointed another pastor who the congregation did not elect. His trial was a real mockery of justice, and he was sentenced to eight months in prison. After he got out, he wrote, Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions 
And it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have had expected in the church. God was better served by our presence in prison than had we been free. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That God opened the doors and the hearts of the people there. None of us probably know Peter O'Toole. No, not Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Brien. Sorry to you, Irishman. Um, Neither of his parents were Christians when he was young. Um, A neighbor lady with a very sincere faith in Christ had an incurable disease and was suffering day by day, but she didn't complain about it. She was a tremendous witness to uh, Mrs. O'Brien. And eventually she trusted Christ, and eventually Peter did as well. He went on to seminary and eventually got a Ph.D. He became a missionary to India, uh, preached the gospel, planted churches, and then he went to Australia to do the same, uh, wrote some extraordinary commentaries, and uh, taught pastors in, in a college there. Now suppose this woman, this neighbor lady, somebody said to her in the beginning, here's the deal. You can glorify Christ in your suffering, and then as a consequence, the people in India will hear the gospel, be converted, churches will be uh, founded, uh, pastors will be trained to teach the Bible, and countless sermons preached, and many books written that will help believers. Suppose somebody said that to her. What would she have said? Oh, yes, of course, I'd be glad to endure these sufferings for those reasons. But you know what? Nobody said that. She didn't know that. God doesn't tell us what's coming. We only have what we have today and in the past. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it, though? The blank page. I remember some time ago one of our elders shared about the response to the blank page, an unknown future. What's your response to the blank page of your unknown future? There's a few responses. First response is, okay, I trust you, Jesus. I'm all, I'm all in. Uh, I'm with you all the way. I'll follow. This is my green card. Now, I'm a U.S. citizen. You know why this card is green? It's the color. <laughs> okay, very simple. <laughs> really wasn't trying to fool you there. The writing on it, though, says, My Romans 12, one decision. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. My signature's on here, and by the looks of it, I signed it. Well, I kind of remember when I signed it. I was a teenager. It's probably a missionary... Uh, conference at our church. I'm guessing that these cards might have been handed out. I signed it. I'm glad I did. I'd encourage you to get a card, write Romans 12, 1 on it and sign it. Say, Jesus, I'm with you all the way. I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. You know, that's a big commitment. A lot of times we get saved, but we don't take this step. Paul says this step What he says, he says, I I urge you, based on the mercy of God, the stuff that you've experienced in your salvation, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Other people, I 
would say have the bump on the log response. I'm really not interested. I'm glad I'm saved, but I'm not interested in walking with the Lord. I'll just live as I please. I hope you're not doing that. That's a rather sorry way to live, and a dumber way to live is shaking your fist before God and say, I'll get even with you for hurting me. You know, a lot of people are angry with God. I hope you're not in that spot. If you are, uh, you need to chat with somebody. We need to get that worked out. But, uh, boy, you know, rebels who <laughs> not uh, are living in disobedience toward God, they, they pay a tremendous price. It, it's certainly not worth it to do that. And yes, that first journey is a by-faith journey. You're saying, I trust you, God, to make me conform to the image of Christ because you've said that's what you're going to do. We, we as people, as human beings, as Christians, we want happy and comfort. Right? Don't we sing a Christmas song or something about comfort and joy? And I, I'm all for that, but uh, what's the reality? It's not all comfort and joy. But it is a walk of faith. You know, none of the people that I've mentioned this morning, and I'm sure your stories are very much like mine. We didn't know what's coming. You had no idea how God would use you, and these people that I've mentioned had no idea about how God would use them, what he would bring into their lives. But what Paul say? said, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. A little bit more than two and a half years ago, my wife went on to heaven. And I began attending a grief share class up in Sheboygan. Nobody knew who I was. I just went as Paul, not Pastor Paul. And that was fine. Uh, I didn't need to be known. That was a very beneficial course for me. And uh, right now we're in our fifth uh, course at Grace Bible Church uh, helping people through that grief process. I'd recommend it highly to you. While I was at the, the church in Sheboygan uh, going to the grief classes, I met a man by the name of Jimmy. He was kind of a homeless guy. He lived at the, I was living at the Salvation Army shelter in Sheboygan. Um, he began uh, coming. He had had uh, two very significant losses in his life. And uh, I began taking him back and forth uh, for the class time. Um, it wasn't very much out of my way to swing by the, the Salvation Army shelter. We'd go out for supper, and uh, I'd talk to him about the gospel, about the Lord, you know, this, that, and the other thing, spiritual stuff. And, and Jimmy was a procrastinator. He said, no, I'm not ready yet. Uh, this, you know, he had more things to put me off. But he always put me off. I lost track of him for about a year or so. Um, this past August, I got a call from his fiancée saying that he was in the ICU up in one of the hospitals in Sheboygan. I went up to see him. Uh, he wasn't real with it because of a procedure that he just had done. I went back a couple of days later and he was with it. He was sitting up and doing pretty well. had the opportunity to tell him, Jimmy, um, you've been on borrowed time for quite a while. I didn't realize at the time that he was only 47 years old. He looked much older. He lived a hard life. 
But that day he trusted Christ as his Savior. He didn't put me off any longer. I think he realized that it was time and he was on borrowed time. Three weeks later, I got another phone call. This time from an EMT from the hospital saying that they had brought Jimmy in and that he had died. Obviously, that was a shock. I was really grateful for the visit we had three weeks earlier. That was pretty important. I hadn't said anything to any of his family members about his uh, decision, but he did. And I was grateful that he did. It kind of confirmed in my heart and mind that the decision was real. It brought me into contact, though, with the rest of his family members, maybe a group of 25, and we had kind of a what I would call a quasi-memorial service for him. I, I say that because their memories was how of him was how drunk he got and the foolish things he did. It was kind of a sorry time. I was grateful to be able to share the positive and the gospel with the people. I don't know what the results are. I mean, God knows, but they certainly heard the gospel clearly. And that was pretty important. You know, this group of people would have never been on my radar screen. I would have never come into contact with them in a month of Sundays. You know, God gives us different spheres, different groups of people that we would not normally come into contact with apart from some circumstances in our lives that give us the ticket into somebody else's life because of a common experience. It's amazing. It's not fun. It's amazing. But God does what he wants to do if we're willing to be his instruments to do it. And I'd encourage you with that. Don't get um, don't get a false view of Christianity. You know, I think we, we've kind of cabbaged on to that. And that's a big mistake. Christianity is a great life. Walk with Jesus is a great experience but it's not an easy one. So let's let's keep things real. It's joyful. You get to the end of the Philippians and Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And I've got that... <laughs> I've got that verse on my refrigerator. I looked at it the other day. And I just about went like this and said, oh, okay, I get it. It's rejoice in the Lord for who He is, what He does, it's not my circumstances. Boy, that just flipped the page, didn't it? I can rejoice in the Lord because He's always good. Is He not? Yeah. He sang about that this morning. Good, good Father. So we have that. And we enjoy it. But you know, the walk gets blisters. The walk goes over tough stuff. But God wants to use that in our lives. Let's not be under the circumstances. Let's be working with the circumstances 
for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, it encouraged people to do the right thing. You know, your obedience may start the obedience in other people. Maybe it's uh, to telling the truth. Maybe it's purity. Maybe it's kindness. Maybe it's patience. What you do as a person and around you is going to affect somebody else's obedience. And maybe your obedience will stop someone's disobedience. We don't know how God's going to use you in those circumstances. Quick check, summary. Are we letting God mold us so he can use us? Are we working with God in our circumstances? What are our attitudes and actions toward the people around us? May God help us in these things. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the things that you teach us in your word and in our lives. We pray that you would help us to be courageous in these days, just as we sang earlier, to be brave. Lord, help us to be moldable and uh, pliable in your hands. And whoever you bring us in contact with, that we would be alert to their needs and alert to um, how you might want to use us. Lord, we realize that maybe it's not in the beginning, but the ending of the circumstance that will be the progress of the gospel. But Father, help us in, in the meantime to be faithful at every step. In Jesus' name, amen.